This Christmas episode of Shaun of the South is brought to you by Case Knives, a tradition of my family dating back to my granddaddy who once said the best way to cure idle hands was to build something. So keep your hands sharp with a Case Knife. We're excited. So without further ado, let me introduce to you to the Pensacola Children's Chorus.
should ask one more time before we say anything else to give it up for Pensacola Children's Choir, if you would. We're going to start this thing. You are listening to Sean of the South coming to you live via the podcast airwaves and the radio waves all over this fine nation. This people you see behind me here tonight is Blue Mullet, everybody. Give it up for Blue Mullet.
whispers through the pine It must be my sweetheart calling I hear her through the walls of time I send the angels for my darling And take her to that decided to record tonight we weren't going to do it they, they just wanted us to come and, and and well I guess they wanted me just to run my mouth for about two hours my wife got sick of that so we decided to do something a little different the truth is uh, there's a fella who wanted to be here tonight who couldn't be here tonight and so when I read his message to me I thought to myself we got to record this for him just in case he has the internet we got a lot of le uh, letters this year for Christmas. I put out something uh, online and asked anybody who wanted to, to write me a Christmas letter in lieu of Santa's helper to send it to me. I never ever had any idea that I would get as much mail as I got. I'm just so glad that instead of using my own address, I used my mother-in-law's. Who is on the front row right now, looking good, looking real good. Got her pearls on. Wave to everybody, Mother Mary. Yeah. 
A message by Philip Prevell in Mobile, Alabama. Dear Sean, I wanted to be there in Milton for your show, but it appears that I can't make it because I'm sick as a dog right now. And your show is tonight, so unless a miracle happens, I'm pretty much screwed. <laughs> but I just wanted to tell you that if you're going to podcast it, I'll definitely listen to it and pretend that I'm there with you. And I just wanted to give a shout out to my wife, Karen, who has been taking care of me like a champ, man. I've been eating chicken soup until I've got this urge to go out to the backyard and start pecking for worms. <laughs> Seriously, brother, I am disappointed I can't be there. I guess I'll catch you next time. Do one for me. Well, Philip, if you're listening to this tonight, everybody's gonna give you a big, big Merry Christmas welcome and sorry you couldn't be here tonight. This next letter is from Ella in Houston, Texas. Ella. My son wrote a Christmas list this year and I thought I'd share it with you because, well, I don't know what else to do with it. And when I read that you were accepting letters for Santa Claus as Santa's helper, I knew I had to get it to you. So here is his letter. Dear Santa, I want to thank you for everything last year. It was really, really cool. My requests this year, Santa, are a PlayStation 4, a hoverboard, three gold chains, and $29. And Santa, get something nice for yourself. <laughs> Towns Sheridan from Shepherdstown, West Virginia. Dear Santa's helper, I am seven years old, but I'll be eight this year on January 5th. And I have a question about Santa, and my mom told me to ask you, his helper. What happens if Santa gets sick on Christmas Eve? Will he have a backup Santa Claus who comes to kids' houses? Or does he suck it up like my mom told my little brother to do? <laughs> she said he was faking being sick, but he really wasn't because he had a bad accident at school. And mom was really mad when she had to come get him, and he was all a mess and stunk real bad. Here's my list, Santa's helper. I want my dad's truck to get unstuck from the mud. I want a dog like the one on Beethoven the movie. <laughs> and please find my hamster. I love him so much and miss him. He's been gone for a long, long time. When he chewed out of his cage, my mom promises she won't vacuum him up. <laughs> P.S. If you find him, will you give him to me? Sharon Sullivan from Pensacola, Florida. Sean, I saw that you were going to be in Milton this week, and I was a little surprised, because why in God's name would anybody go to Milton? <laughs> Everybody here tonight is going to wish her a Merry Christmas. One, two, three. That's what you get when you come to Milton, Sharon. Don Reinhardt, Springfield, Missouri. Sean, this Christmas I want my brother to ask his girlfriend to marry him. Finally, after almost 10 years, he's got to make a move and I'm worried if he waits too long, he's gonna lose her and she's perfect. In fact, we like her a lot better than we like him. 
if he don't ask her to marry him this Christmas, I'm thinking about shooting him. Not to kill him, you understand, but just in the fire, something fatal. He really is my best friend, and I just want him to be as happy as I've been married for 23 years, and I want him to know the same joys I feel when the credit card company threatens to garnish my wages. <laughs> because we are broke as a joke without a smoke because we've put three ungrateful daughters through college. I wish you and yours a Merry Christmas, and if you have any poll with the big guy in the red suit, ask for Robbie to pop the question to Susan. Thanks. J.R. Frederick in St. Paul, Minnesota. Dear Sean, I hate you because it's warm where you live. No, I'm just kidding. I don't really hate you. I hate that you get to enjoy mosquito weather while we all up here in the north and the Midwest are buried in a pure white frozen hell. <laughs> it's so cold, I don't want to leave my house because I'm afraid one of my body parts will fall off. <laughs> my wife told me to write you because we are going to be coming to Florida this summer. She is planning our trip and wants to know where we could vacation. Thanks, Merry Christmas. Well, dear JR, in my humble opinion, you ought to come to Milton, Florida. <laughs> now, I mean it, I mean it. They got Grover T's barbecue. They got pork and spoon. They got, most importantly, David's Catfish House where well, your cardiologist recommends that you can eat all the fish and shrimp you want, get the coleslaw, be warned about the hush puppies, they are big enough to be used in a regulation college volleyball tournament. <laughs> your friend, Sean Dietrich. Aaron Markland, Spring, Texas. Sean, my eight-year-old daughter, Lily, has enclosed a letter to you that is intended for Santa. I pray that you are able to get it. Please, please try to do your best. Here's the letter. Hi, Santa. I'm giving you ultra skim milk this year <laughs> and hummus. Because in school we learned about all the childhood obesity going on. And when you get skinny, maybe you can go back to having cookies. <laughs> My brother has told me that you aren't real. But I told him that he was stupid and I got in trouble because my mom heard me. <laughs> Santa, are you real? If you are, I need to know because I've been wondering. Because you used the same kind of wrapping paper my mom used, and she bought it at TJ Maxx. <laughs> I don't know where you got your wrapping paper. I want to believe in you, but I can't make my brother stop saying he knows the truth when I don't think he knows. Well, dear Aaron and dear, dear Lily, if you're listening to this, the following is a letter from Santa. I got this letter from Santa. It came in the mail yesterday to my mother-in-law's house. <clears throat> Dear Lily, I appreciate the fat-free milk. Mrs. Claus has had me on a diet ever since Jane Fonda was selling workout videos. <laughs> this is back in the days when people were drinking tab soda and I never lost a single pound, Lily, not even after she bought me a thigh master for Christmas. But you probably don't remember Tab Colo or Thigh Masters because you're a child. And I'm actually glad you wrote me. 
Because for some time now, I've been wondering if, in fact, Lily Markland has existed. I don't know if Lily Markland is real because I've never actually met you. You're always asleep when I come to your house, and I just keep thinking, if Lily is real, why doesn't she prove it? So, before I prove to you that I'm a real guy with a real weight problem <laughs> and a prescription for Crestor, Lipitor, non-steroidal, anti-inflammatory medication, <laughs> would you please prove to me, Lily, that you are a real person? If you are, all I ask is that you give me one little penny with the skim milk with your birth year on the penny. Leave it with the plate of food and I will keep it with me wherever I go when I visit all the houses in the world. I'll think of you whenever I reach into my pocket and see that little coin. If you do that for me, I promise to start using different wrapping paper this year. It's just so hard to turn down a good clearance deal at TJ Maxx. Your mom and I both love good deals, and we both love you very much. Merry Christmas to all, and to all a good night. And that's letters from our listeners, everybody. Letters from our listeners. We're going to have one more tune here from Blue Mullet, everybody. Blue Mullet, come on now.
Thank you. told this story all the way to the top of the United States on the Canadian border where they talk real funny where I went into a grocery store and asked me to to, to, to talk for the lady behind the counter because they couldn't understand me <laughs> I said I'd like a ham sandwich she said a what I said a ham sandwich she said there's only one syllable in ham she said Eugene get over here she said, tell him, tell him what you have. I have a ham sandwich. Damn. I got it free on the house. I told this story about, about this woman, this teacher, in, in 30 different states now. 30 different states. They, they have not asked me to come to Canada yet. I don't expect they ever will. I've decided that I would keep this woman, this teacher, because of privacy issues and because of anonymity and how much it matters today, I don't want to bring any shame upon her or her family. So, so I try to be very vague when I talk about her, but I'm gonna tell you, Miss Deborah R. Bruner was the devil. <laughs> this woman, she was a Pentecostal preacher's wife. She had a 10 foot tall beehive hairdo. She had to duck to get underneath the eaves of, of, of the school, and she had to duck to get into the classroom. This thing had been up in that hairdo since 1945. <laughs> when she would be sitting at her desk, we would see these little arachnids crawling out of her. <laughs> because she never took it down. She had long denim dresses that brushed the floor when she walked. She had these big horn rim glasses, big, big, thick black horn rim glasses that went out of style a long time ago, ever since William Taft was president. And she smelled like a church lady. Church ladies have their own international scent. Long, long ago, they all got together in a cave before the world started. These church ladies agreed on a set of rules. No matter which denomination you were, these church ladies agreed on what they were gonna look like, how they gonna talk, and how they gonna smell. They agreed on Estee Lauder's youth do. <laughs> and I had planned originally on saying a little bit more about that tonight, but I could smell a lot of it in this room. 
She had this uncanny ability, I'm telling you, this uncanny ability to cut a child down to size. She would look at us and she'd say, class, what do you want to do when you grow up? What, what would you like to be? And man, I'll never forget, my buddy Adam raised his hand and said, said, I'd like to be an astronaut. And she looked at him and said, people in hell want a glass of ice water. <laughs> you got to think practical. Pragmatism, who, many, who in this class knows what pragmatism means? We all looked at each other. I don't know. She said, we got to think about jobs that are applicable to society, doctors, lawyers, nurses. I looked at my buddy, I said, it sounds like she's fixing to sing a Willie Nelson song. <laughs> and so she was this terror of a lady that we were all very, very scared of. Around Christmas time, she told us to write a poem. We would write these poems out, and I was a really good poet. This was the very first time in my life I ever realized that I had a knack for writing. I would write some of my best work in that class, but my award-winning work was written on the boys' restroom wall. <laughs> Scratched into a cinder block wall with a pocket knife, I had a poem that went, you are sitting where I was sitting. And so I thought it would be fitting to give you this poem while you were. <laughs> Pentecostal teachers love that one. It's a, it's a standard. She asked us to write a poem that was very Christmas themed. And so I wrote, I wrote a poem that was Christmas themed and I, I tried to make it funny. I tried to, to use a little bit of humor to drive it home. The poem that I wrote in her class was, was one that was basically a knockoff, but I didn't tell her that. It said, Jingle Bells shotgun shells. <laughs> Rudolph laid an egg. Santa Claus is having fun and Dad's in the Chevrolet. I couldn't, I couldn't restrain myself. I love poetry, I love poetry. She asked us once what we wanted to be. <laughs> she asked us once what we thought happened to our bodies when we died. Well, the, the tradition I come from, which is Southern Baptist, we believe one thing happens when you die. You go up to heaven, there's streets of gold, there's a big tree that you all gather around and you sing Gaither songs <laughs> until the end of time. While they sing songs, such songs that I grew up with, these are some of the Gaither hits that I grew up with. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Man, I'd like to know how they came up with the lyrics for that. <laughs> oh, I wrote this poem that, that reflected my personal spiritual beliefs at this age. Fifth grade, fifth grade. My spiritual beliefs at that age had begun to deviate because when you get to the fourth grade, you are starting to show signs of, of prepubescent symptoms. My buddies and I knew that we were having armpit hair and leg hair, and we were fascinated with this. We'd get our noses real close to everybody who was sprouting hair. Say, I can see it, I can see it, it's black and curly. Are you Italian?
Of course, I sprouted little blonde red hairs. I had the misfortune of being born a redhead. The people in my family were redheads. I had a lot of redheads in my family. We were, we were, we were a dying breed. They say that redheads have diminished to 3% of the world's population. And by the year 2047, that we will represent 1.2% of the world population. That means that I'm a precious stone, baby. But back then, to have the misfortune of being redhead just meant that you were a big, fat loser. Because not only was my hair red, it was red and curly. And when the light hit it, it looked even more red and more curly. And my freckles, whenever they, they hit sunlight, the UV rays, they start to emerge on my skin like I've been shot with buckshot. <laughs> to make matters worse, I was a little bit chubby. It's okay, I can talk about it now big part of my life. I, I, I tried to ignore the fact that I was chubby and I just wandered through life dressed like my mother would dress me, which she had this, this, this hideous sense of fashion. I will never forget when my mother would take me shopping back in the day to Sears. Sears. And in the back of Sears was an area for chubby boys. There was a brand of clothing that had been manufactured by Sears and Roebuck called Husky Brand Clothing. <laughs> and if ever you doubted what you were, all you had to do was look at that little leather patch on your jeans. <laughs> and when you'd be walking down the hall, someone would look at you and say, hey, Husky! This is the first documented U.S. case of psychological labeling. <laughs> if you ever didn't know, there it was right on your butt. You knew that you were husky. And my mother, in fact, she, she, she just couldn't stop there. She got my jeans and she would iron them. And then she would make me tuck in my shirt, no matter what kind of a shirt I was wearing. And a boy, with proportions like mine, walking down the hall with jeans that got a crease going down the center that are sharp enough to slice a kiwi. <laughs> and his shirt tucked in, wearing a leather belt, which my deacon used to call the leather fence around the fried chicken graveyard. <laughs> well, I, this teacher of mine, this woman, the reason I tell you about her is because every year, we had these, these Christmas plays that we would do. These Christmas plays were the height of our season. We didn't even call them plays, we called them cantatas, cantatas. That was her and an assistant. The assistant was named Becky Jernigan, and Becky Jernigan, she was just, just the prettiest thing, big blonde curls like coffee cans and big blue eyes. She was a senior in high school, and we were fifth grade boys. The difference between a senior in high school and a fifth grade boy is a lifetime. <laughs> these, these, these girls get their growth spurts and these little husky boys <laughs> look up at these girls and they're like swans. Whereas I was more like a red turkey. <laughs> she was the assistant that year and they were divvying up the roles. Now Miss Bruner, she got there early and she was sitting down in the front pew with her clipboard 
And there was Becky Jernigan sitting beside her with her clipboard. And everybody had to go through a firing squad audition. The audition required two things. You had to know a Christmas song and you had to be able to speak a few lines. The lines you had to speak was Ephesians 6. Children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right and it shall go well with you and you shall have a long, long life. That's what you had to say. You had to say it dramatically in the Shakespearean style. Roll your R's. And then you had to sing a song. My song was going to be a song that I had learned that my father taught me when I was just a kid. I was about, I don't know, four years old when my father started teaching me this. And it was, well, here are some of the lyrics. Stille Nacht, heilige Nacht, alles schlaft einsam wacht. Nur das traut dich auf heilige Paar, haul der Knabe im lockigen Haar. Schlaft in himmlisch Kau, schlaft in himmlisch Kau. And it really is so true. <laughs> I wanted to sing that for her because it, you know, it's really impressive. I mean, I found that music... You, you really got to impress someone and do things that they don't expect you to do. Like, for instance, a lot of times when I do these things, I like to sing, sing, De la sierra morena, cielito lindo, vienen bajando. Un par de ojitos negros, cielito lindo, de controlando. Ese lunar que tiene, cielito lindo, viene a la boca. No se no des a nadie, cielito lindo, que a mí me toca. Ay, 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 ay. Canta y no llores porque cantando se alegran cielito lindo los corazones. Ay, 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 ay. Canta y no llores porque cantando se alegran cielito lindo los corazones. You gotta come right at him and hit him in the uppercut, just right in the gut. Nobody ever expects a tall, red-headed gringo to sing that song. So I was gonna sing this song for her. And my father took me to this rehearsal, and there she was, Becky Jernigan, she was sitting up front. They had already cast all, all the parts. We, we had a very, very big cantata that year, and so we had all sorts of parts. Not only did we have the wise men and the shepherds, but we had a complete set of fruits and vegetables. The parts of the sheep were played by local dogs wearing fleeces. And Lee Crawford, he was the star of Bethlehem. Lee Crawford wore a human disco ball suit. And he paraded down the aisle. And the three wise men followed him. It was very hard for him not to sing a Gloria Gaynor disco song. Yeah, and there was one little girl, bless her soul, Chelsea Watson was her name. She, she was supposed to be the grapes. We had gotten these costumes on loan from a school, these vegetables and fruit, but the grape soup, which was made out of purple balloons, had malfunctioned and all the balloons had popped, and so she just became girl in the purple leotard. <laughs> I'll never forget when she asked Miss Burns, she said, I don't remember there being a girl in a purple leotard at the birth of Christ. She said, sweetie, that's why you've got to make the part your own. I was auditioning for the role of Joseph. Joseph was the most coveted role in the entire world because Joseph got to hold hands with Mary. And Mary was also a very nice looking girl. And she was sweet and kind. 
She had matured so much faster than all of us and she wore this cowl and this blue costume every year. She always played Mary. I wanted to be Joseph. Joseph had to sing and say his lines. My father got me there for practice, for audition. He was wearing his denim shirt after he just got off work. He always wore denim and boots every day of his life, covered in oil stains and soot stains. And we walked in there. He said, get up there and do me proud. And I walked up front. Ms. Bruner said, what are you going to sing for me? And I blanked out. <laughs> and I started to sing, when I die, I want to come back as a squirrel. Because <laughs> a squirrel seems like a mighty fine thing to be. He can't go running, and he can't go swimming, and he can't do yoga, and he can't flirt with women. She said, stop, stop. I hung my head. She said, do you have your lines for me? I said, okay, children, children, obey your parents for the Lord, for this is right. And it should go well with you, and you shall have a long life. Uh, I blanked out again. She said, you can't be in my play. And my father was looking at me from the back row, back pew, and he stood up. He said, hey, that ain't fair. That ain't fair. He's good. He's a good singer. And he's, he's real, he's, he's a ham. She said, what did you say? He marched me down front. He said, sing something else. So I did. I, I sang, Holy town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Among thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. She said, that was very good. My father said, I told you so. She said, well, would you like to play the part of Joseph? Would I ever? I looked at Becky Jernigan. I looked at Mary. I thought, I've hit the lottery, husky boy, come to town. <laughs> the night of the play was wonderful. It was a room a lot like this, and it was filled with everybody's parents. And they were all sitting around in these big chairs, and they're watching the kids come down the aisle to, to form the nativity. We sang, Away in a manger, no creep for a bed. And we saw Lee Crawford, he had his disco ball suit on. And he turned around a little bit. Them lights were dancing all over. It was the first year we ever had the star actually walk in instead of hang over the nativity. It's lasted to this day. She had done away with the part of the script where they slaughtered the innocent children under the age of two. <laughs> yeah, and the fruits and vegetables came walking in. There was the, the apple, the banana. There was the girl in purple leotard. There was somebody's dog, Rascal, and he was dressed in sheep's wool. Nobody could get Mary. They couldn't find her. Becky Jernigan, she walked to the back room. She beat on the door. Pop, pop, pop. Mary, come on out of there. Crystal said, I can't do it. I'm scared. I'm so, I'm nervous. Becky said, you got to come out. It's your turn to go on. She said, I can't do it. And so, Miss Bruner looked at Becky Jernigan and said, you got to play Mary. And so they went and borrowed a choir robe that was pure gray. And for her cowl, they used 
the tablecloth from the communion table. <laughs> Joseph, yours truly, was walking down the aisle ready to meet Mary, and I saw seven-foot-tall Becky Jernigan come out. <laughs> and she hooked arms with me, and I looked at my cousin, Ed Lee, who went, We walked onto the stage together. I put my arm around her waist. We got to the manger scene and she knelt down and that took a good three feet off her height. And she cradled the little gold medal flower of Jesus with the face drawn on it, this little sack of flower. <laughs> Mrs. Brunner was looking at us, we were saying our lines. The heavenly host choir was back behind us. They were wearing little coat hangers up on there. <laughs> Been out of shape. And she looked at me and I was supposed to sing. I was supposed to sing. And I looked out at that crowd and I couldn't think of what to do. I blacked out completely. <laughs> and then I opened my eyes and I was still standing. And I looked up to the sky and I thought, Oh, I dodged a bullet. I looked in the very back row and I saw there was my father standing there. And he just stood and looked at me. Nodded his head one time. He'd just gotten off work. He was wearing his denim, his boots, grease. I looked at him and I said, Stila Let's 
wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Good tidings to you, to you and your King. Good tidings for Christmas and a Happy New Year. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Please bring us some butter beans. Please bring us some butter beans. Please bring us some butter beans and bring it right here. We won't go until we get some. We won't go until we get some. We won't go until we get some. So bring it right here. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Thank you very much for having me this evening. It's been a wonderful pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Shaun of the South Christmas show. I want to be the first to wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to you and your family. Thanks for listening to us and thanks for tuning into this show live in your car, in your minivan on the way to school, through your cell phone podcast app or whatever else means you use to listen to this thing. We want to thank all our listeners, all 14 of them, for being faithful and loyal to us and seeing us through and helping this podcast get off the ground. We never thought we'd make it past three episodes and here we are recording our third annual Christmas special live in Milton, Florida to a very rowdy crowd. I want to say thanks to Blue Mullet, that music you heard behind me today. These guys are not just good, they're world class good and they're all my friends. It's a pleasure sharing the stage with them and the Pensacola Children's Choir. You have to check these guys out if you ever get a chance or if you ever find yourself in the Northwest Florida Panhandle. I want to say thank you to anybody else who's listening there who is enduring this holiday season and going through something very very tough you have not just the sympathy of the people who are listening to this but you have the thoughts of people who've been there before you and know how to get through it and there is no way to get through it except to get through it a merry christmas to you and your family adios